I have uh, the very lucky and pri very lucky privilege. I was going to come out of the mouth really weird uh, to introduce something to you, and some of you may know already what I'm talking about because you're on Facebook and you're creeping. Uh, some of you knew because you were there, but Pastor Amanda and Pastor Samuel did something this weekend or this last week. They got engaged. I told them they had to bow and curtsy. So check out the ring. We're excited for them. Check that out. We're excited for you guys. Good luck. The next few months are a rush. If you're new here, I want you to encourage you. If you're new here, if you, this is your first time, thank you. You're an answer to prayer. If it's your 100th time, you're also an answer to prayer. But uh, we'd ask that you just fill out the connection card in the program you got as you came in, whether you're new or you've been here since you were born. Uh, that just helps us know, so you are new, know you are here uh, this morning. And so please do that as we, do, as we move forward. Well, I'm going to tell you a little story of how I got here, how we got to this place of Tom being on sabbatical. And it's an interesting one. Uh, I've been preaching a few times here off and on at Central Assembly and getting the privilege to be up here in front of you. Uh, it is definitely a different experience to preach, to speak like this. Uh, it's not for everyone, and I've gotten more used to it and more comfortable. And I actually, to be really honest, I kind of enjoy being up here, oddly. Uh, and so a few months ago, probably in October after the last time I preached, Tom said, what would you think? And I said, well, it was a lot of fun. I've never done a sermon series before, and I'd like to try that sometime with you around uh, so you can coach me through it. A few weeks passed, and Tom says, do you still want to do that sermon series? And I said, yeah, that sounds great. I would love to do that. I'd love to have you coach me through that experience and, and kind of do that because it's way different. As you can tell, uh, it didn't go the way I thought it would. Uh, Tom decided to take a sabbatical, a well-meaning sabbatical, and we're excited for him. I'm excited for him. Be in prayer. For, your, for our lead pastor, for our leader. Uh, I believe that these times are times of refreshing and times of filling, but they're also times of vision for our, for our leader. And so be in prayer for Tom these next few weeks as he's on a sabbatical, that God would speak to him, that his spirit, God's spirit would just be present in Tom's life and that, that something would be going on in the spiritual realm with them. And they'd come back ready and rare, and I know they're going to be, he's going to be ready to preach after this. And so... We start a new sermon series today uh, called Programmed Like Jesus. And I think the, the part about being programmed like Jesus that is important is that we function like him, that we are like Jesus. And the, where we're going to be today and throughout the whole sermon series is 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. So if you want to turn there, your tablets, your phones, an actual Bible with pages if you have that still, um, to turn there and, and to, to camp out there uh, for a moment. And I'm going to make sure I have the right notes up here. Because that would be interesting if I had the wrong notes as you're turning there. And so here's what it says, and I'll, uh, the words will be on the screen if you want to follow there as well. It says, for this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So that's the big word, leaving you an example, 
so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued, entru- continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. For he himself bore our sin in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. We practiced that this morning. <clears throat> For you were st- astray like sheep, but having now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So that's, that's the basic of basics of what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks. Even today, we're going to be talking about that example of what Jesus has left us, his actions. And so to start off, I, I'd just like you to know, I have a five-year-old and a one-year-old. And that might not be a surprise to some of you. You may know that. To others of you, uh, you've learned something about me already, that I have uh, two children. And I think this is meaningful because today, they're going to be the examples that I use. You might hear a lot about my kids in the next few weeks. They're good teachers in, in, in my life. And our one-year-old really can't communicate that much right now. You probably, if you've had a kid, you know that most of the communication that happens between you and a one-year-old is crying. (laughs) Is waking up at all hours of the night. One o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. Crying in the morning, crying at supper time, crying in the afternoon. And it really is something I think about in my life lately is that I wonder if God sees me as a child, like a one-year-old, that I cry a lot to him about things, that I cry about my finances, and sometimes I cry about the jobs I've had, or the positions in the jobs that I've had. Uh, I cry about being busy, being bored. I cry, sometimes I feel like to him, it must just sound like a baby. That I'm I'm just, I, I just don't see full picture. And with our one, my one-year-old, I really think it's, it's the unconditional love test of our lives. That, that having young kids that struggle to communicate and even can't communicate besides crying almost at all, they, that they're, they're the unconditional love test. That, they, that we love them despite what they've done for us. Because all they've done for us is steal our sleep and our time unconditional love poured out. A healthy relationship with a baby is unconditional love because that baby hasn't done anything. And for us guys, the baby's asked nine more months of our wives than us. (laughs) And so they've just asked a ton and we've given without thought or hesitation. And that's God for us. He's given without hesitation unconditional love to us. And that's awesome. Can I get an amen to that guy? He unconditionally loves you no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, no matter how much you've cried in, in our, your day-to-day lives. He loves you. But that was extra. That was extra. Really, it's my five-year-old. My five-year-old is the one that's really been getting me lately. It's amazing. She lately has, has been kind of talking about Jesus in real, real terms. She says things like, Jesus is in my heart, that I know, who, she started to like know who he is, that he's real, he's not just this made up thing that mom and dad go and 
worship at church. God is real, that he's, he's functional. He's, he's a part of this reality called life. And that's been really cool and really exciting, and I've loved it because we've had, we get to start having conversations about God with our, my five-year-old. But the other day, we were walking down the stairs at our house, and we caught Myra in a lie. It was, and it's not the first time we've caught her in a lie, but we were on the stairs, we were walking down the stairs, and, and I don't even remember the, what the lie was about anymore, because that's not really the point of the story, but we caught her and we said, Myra, that, that's not true. We know that you didn't do that and that, that it was you who, who ruined this thing or whatever happened. And both Keela and I, we both caught her, right? We, we caught her. We were like, yep, you're lying. And you could tell that she realized she was stuck, that she, she was caught. It was, there was no place to go. Mom and dad knew. Mom and dad always know somehow. But mom and dad knew. And she looked at us and she said, it's okay. And as a parent, my immediate reaction was like, no, it's not okay. But I, I, I held my tongue. I waited for her to say her whole statement. She said, it's okay. Jesus has grace for when we do bad things. <laughs> well, hey, that's stinking cute. I couldn't help but laugh and think, oh, man, that's adorable. Oh, yes. But what I realized as I listened, as she said that, is that's not fully the truth. That's not full truth. That's not what the Bible says in its entirety. That's a part of what it says. That's a piece of what the truth really is. And so as I've been moving forward as a parent since that moment, I've started realizing, like, I want to teach my daughter the full gospel, everything that's there. But how do I teach her to not sin so grace can abound, as Paul said, without ruining the wonderful revelation that's so true, that I struggle with. I struggle to remember and know that when I do bad things, Jesus has grace for, for when I do bad things. And so I don't want to ruin that revelation. I don't want to ruin that beautiful truth that she so uniquely understands that God gave her. I didn't give her that. God gave her that. And that's the conundrum that I've been in. And it's, I've started thinking about it a lot about this idea of artificial intelligence. That training artificial intelligence is a lot like training a child or training myself. And so I want to talk about AI or artificial intelligence for a second and how it works according to Matt. <laughs> so I'm, I, to, to like put, put this in perspective, I'm not a like computer scientist. I'm just a kid in high school who was weird and like liked to play with computers and put them together and put the parts together and our parents were gracious enough to let us play with computers so I've grown up around them uh, but if it's kind of wrong what I explained to you I, I'm, just a, I'm just a novice at this stuff so here's my understanding can I have the two bins next to you Amanda here's my understanding of AI so one, one bin, we'll say the red bin is the bad bin. It's the wrong bin. And we have the other bin, the blue bin. That's the good bin. It's uh, right and wrong. We've already gotten there, right and wrong. And so we'll talk about this in the sense of how a car, how we, how we program a car to be autonomous. 
And so what happens with a car is you start by taking this car, this vehicle you're going to drive around, and you put all kinds of sensors and measuring tools and things to, to kind of figure out what's happening in the car. So imagine just all the things you already have, your speedometer, the rev counter, the engine lights, all that stuff, and then add cameras and gyroscopes and radar and things to tell it where it's going and where it is comparatively to the rest of the world. And, and we start to collect data. That's the first step in artificial intelligence is we have to start collecting data and knowing what's going on. So we drive the car around after we put all these sensors in. We, we, we put those sensors in and then we start driving the car around and we start to collect that data from us driving around. So that data will represent by these beautiful uh, Disney princess cards with numbers on them. I couldn't find anything else. <laughs> They'll work. The princesses are, it's pretty in pink. Goes right along with my daughter. She'll love this. And so what we do is we measure that data, and then after we collect the data, a human looks at that data and starts to categorize, categorize put, put them in categories. The good category and the bad category. So, in the, in the car example, we'll go back there. So you're driving that car with all those sensors, and you drive up to a stoplight. You stop at the stoplight, and you stop before the crosswalk, right? Everybody does that because you never know when a pedestrian wants to cross. So we, we obey the laws here at Central Assembly, so we stop before the crosswalk. Everybody does. We take the, the computer programmer looks, and looks at that instance, and he says, that was, a good, that was good. And then we keep driving that car, and we stay within the lanes, and we see, we see a spit, uh, a, the speed limit on the road. It's 25 here, which 25 miles an hour is so slow. Hammond Avenue takes forever at 25 miles an hour. But we drive 25 miles an hour because we're good Christians. And the computer programmer looks at that and says, that's right. And then we keep driving, and a pedestrian crosses the road in front of us, and we slow down instead of speed up because we don't want to hit the pedestrian. And so we slow down and, and let them cross, even though they're doing wrong things. We'll let them go, and the computer programmer looks and says, that's, that's good. But then we drive along and we, we, we go through a red light. I did it the other day and I felt really embarrassed. <laughs> I looked up and I said, oh, the, the light's red. Okay. And kept going. Well, the computer programmer would look at that. This hurts me to do this. And that was wrong. That wasn't right. You didn't stop for the pedestrian. You actually sped up to try to teach them a lesson. He sped up. It's not a crosswalk. That's not right. <laughs> you get in a car accident, right? Well, and even in the car accident, there's right things to do. Hit the brakes. Swerve to avoid things. Turn into the car. <laughs> Hit the accelerator, go faster. And what happens eventually is we, 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 we start to tell the computer program enough times what's happening with these sensors, it can start to see trends. It can start to see the data showing it right and wrong things. And eventually what happens is the computer can actually read all that data faster than any human can, and eventually it can predict things. It can say, 
Well, looking at this instance that was bad and looking two or three seconds before, I can start saying, this is probably going to be a bad thing. This might be a good thing. And so, but at the core of artificial intelligence, even though we think it's completely human devoid, is actually humans telling the computer program what's right and wrong. How, and then that's my understanding of how artificial intelligence works. Hopefully that's very close to the, the, the reality. I think it is. And so that's the process of training artificial intelligence. And to me, that sounds a lot like my life reading the Bible. Looking at Jesus and his actions and the things he did and the things that he functioned with and how it relates to me. And so that's really where the process of sanctification, which is becoming more like Jesus, I think that's like the start of it. Being sanctified is, is becoming more like Jesus. And so that's where this idea of being programmed like Jesus really came from, is a, a look at my kids and training them and teaching them what it looks like to, to live a life for God, what it looks like for me to look, live a life for God, and how that interacts with the world, how that interacts with what we read in the Bible. And so that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Next week we'll talk about relationship. Kaylin's going to preach in two weeks about solitude, and then we'll come back to mission and purpose. But today, I want to give you a little bit of the syllabus, a little bit of the start. And, and just like with artificial intelligence, measuring and, and tracking is really important. I think we have to measure the same things Jesus measured. Find importance in the same things that Jesus found important. See, if we take a gyroscope in this car, and it's in the front of the car, and we move it to the back of the car, it's going to have completely different readings, and the computer's not going to know what to do with it. And so we have to get as close as we can to, to thinking and, and, and measuring the same things Jesus did. And so that's what we're going to look at. The three things that I think really exemplify what Jesus valued in the world. And this isn't exhaustive. It isn't the everything. It's just three general things that I really think God really measured as important that he tracked in his life and that he had purpose in and used those things to make a difference in his life. So here are the three things. It's, the first one is accepting others, is looking and seeing other people. Over and over again, we see a stunning and challenging priority put on people in the Gospels. Everything revolves around it. It is amazing to me. And Jesus didn't just talk a good game when it was, it was accepting other people. He, he did that even down to his disciples. His disciples had tax collectors and doctors and fishermen in just those 12. That is a very vastly different group of people. Very different backgrounds, very different educational levels, very different income levels. And that was just represented in his 12 disciples. And so... He, he did. He accepted others. Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 40 says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. Depends all the law. All of it, every word, 
The prophets, all the prophets, every word. Jesus is looking at the Old Testament. He knows the Old Testament. He knows the law. He knows the prophets. He knows what the Bible has said up to this point in existence. And he looks at all of it, every word, and says these two things. Love God. Love people. Love your neighbor. That is a very powerful statement, I think, about humanity. Because Jesus didn't separate these two commandments. It wasn't you could have one or in the not the other. These are the same coin. These are the same things. You can't have one without the other. You can't love God and not love people. And you can't love people without loving God. They're together. It just shows to me the value humanity has to God. It's meaningful. I mean, Jesus sent his son to die for us while we were yet sinners. Not when we turned to him. Not when we loved him. Not when we tried to get our lives right like him. But while we were yet far away from him. While we were yet not caring who he was. He loved us enough to send us, send his son for us. And so Jesus loved people. And he didn't just talk a good game, he actually loved people. He loved the people who were rejected in his society. He loved the people who could struggle to find a place in his society. I'll show you. If you don't know these stories, if they're new to you, jot down the reference, I'll tell you where you can find these stories. And read them later today. I won't take time to talk about them now, but just listen to this. The woman caught in adultery. John 8, 10 and 11. What did Jesus do for her? Here's what John 8, 10 and 11 says. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, sin no more. Jesus saw a person, a human being, in front of him and showed us what loving our neighbor looks like. Zacchaeus, yes, he was a wee little man. He climbed a tree. He was hated and avoided in his society. He cheated people. He robbed people. What does Jesus do? And Jesus said to him, Luke 19, 9 through 10, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also was a son of Abraham. For the Son of God came to seek and to save that which was lost. Again, Jesus saw a person, a human being, in front of him and showed us what loving our neighbor looks like. We have to accept other people. And I'm not saying accept sin or call sin saying that sin is okay. That's not what I'm saying when I say accept. I'm saying we have to welcome people into our lives. We have to accept people and see them as human beings. As Christians, I feel like we've gotten super good at telling people the things inside of our society that we hate. Everything that we revile as villainous and unspeakably evil But notice Jesus' actions. 
the things that he did. In a lost world, looking for something, looking for him, he accepted and brought salvation with him. He saw a person, a human being in front of him. And he showed us what loving our neighbor looks like. Even to the Pharisees, the group of people that would be at the forefront of the evil and Satan orchestrated plot to crucify him. The Pharisees, he would show love towards. Nicodemus, a Pharisee himself, came to Jesus, and he was not rejected by Jesus. He was not turned away from Jesus. He was, he was brought in. He was shown love. And I think for us, you and me, if that person had come to us, if he'd come to me, let's be honest, if he came to me, I wouldn't have spent the time of day on them. I wouldn't have. These people are fighting me at every turn, trying to trap me in my ministry, trying to tell me that I'm not doing things right. I wouldn't have had the time. I wouldn't have. I'm being honest. See, humanity is not the obstacle you face in life. Humanity is not the obstacle. Take a look around for a second from taking notes. Taking notes is really important. But take a look around for a second. Look around the room. See people sitting next to you. Tell the person next to you they look good today. Turn to the person you just ignored and tell them they look good today. None of these, not one, is the obstacle you face in life. They are loved by God and in need of a Savior just like you. That person that you're struggling with at work, that seems to be the thorn in your side, is opposing you at every point, they are not your obstacle. They are loved by God and in need of a Savior just like you. We need to learn to accept others the same way that Jesus measured the world around him. He accepted others. For me as a parent, this is important to me. One of the biggest things I want my children to do and be able to do is to value people like Jesus valued people. To see people as humans. To care for people. And as Christians, as we look at Jesus, the love that, we've so that he so graciously poured out on us, we should ascribe to that love and pour it out on others. Even if we don't think they deserve it. Because the reality is, I didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. And so it's only our right and true purpose to pour out love the way Jesus did. But to do that, we have to know our actions. We have to know the things that we are doing. To accept others, we have to acknowledge that our actions have impact on the world. This is something that I think Jesus is able to do in a way that is amazing. James 2.18 says, But some of you will say, I have faith. You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. The hardest thing, I think, for us to do in life 
is to, to really relate the things we do and the actions we take with the faith that we have. Because in society today, I really feel like society today is so like sectioned off in containers. We have our work life and our church life and our family life and our friends' life and our sports lives and our so- social media lives. And every block, it seems like we can, we can act however we feel we want to. We can be whoever we want to. Because that's what I think the world tells us. Be who you want to be. Do what you want to do. And I think social media is like the height of this. That people can act and, and do without feeling any consequence in the real world. Pretending like it doesn't even matter. Like it's not the real world. It's virtual reality. And I, the reality is everything is real world. Even if it's online, it's the real world. It's people. It's humanity. And we need to love that. I think social media can be a great pit. It can be a great resource and a great thing to use, but I think it's a great pit. And we act however we want on social media while suicide rates are going up. The rates of depression, clinical depression, is going up. That the rate of people who are feeling lonely and alone in this world is rising at incredible rates. Christian, we need to stop and we need to know our actions. We need to know the reasons we're doing what we're doing. But the problem is is we don't even stop to think about the things we're thinking about. You rushed through this week and you had thoughts and you did things and you don't know what they were. You don't know what you thought. You don't know how you felt. And so how do we ever expect to know our actions if we don't even know our thoughts? If we don't know our actions, we act impulsively. Whether whether we think we're acting meaningfully or not, if you don't know your actions, you act impulsively. And it's hard to really make a positive impact on the world when you're just acting impulsively, when you're just reacting to the things that are happening around you. If you are hoping to have a positive impact, just hoping, to have a positive impact on the world. You are also just hoping no mistakes are made. Get that. If you're just hoping to have a positive impact on the world, you are also just hoping that no mistakes are made. You're just hoping. I don't think that's good enough. I think Jesus came to the world to change that. Jesus' actions, the way he talked about his actions, are incredible. John 6.38 says, I have come down from heaven. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That's incredible to me, that Jesus could have that much confidence in who he was and what he did. Jesus knew his actions. He was aware that if he reviled back, like we read in Peter, if he were to revile back, that would mean something. That would have had an impact on the world. If he would have cursed those who came against him, that would have meant something. He knew that his actions had meaning. So, just a second, 
after church, we stop and have a conversation. And don't worry, I won't do this to anybody. Just join me in the thought experiment for a second. And we start talking, you and I, and we start talking about the things that you did this week, the actions that you took, the time that you spent building relationships with others, the money that you spent and where it went, uh, the time you spent with your family, why you're in the job you're in. How many of you, as we started having that conversation, to what, what are you doing and why are you doing it, your response to most of those questions would be, I don't know. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I spent that money there. I don't know why we're doing what we're doing. I think this is a powerful thing. Christian, we've got to stop saying I don't know to our actions. We have to start taking responsibility and knowing our actions and knowing that they have meaning in the world, that they have impact on the world. That you can say that you desire and want to do the will of the Father just like Jesus did. And that you can. I want my children to know this. I want them to see that their actions have real world meaning. That they can't just do things to do things. They can't just treat people the way they want to treat people without knowing the consequences. And that starts with us being willing to... To, to know the grace that's been poured out on us through Jesus and starting to pour that out to other people, knowing our actions. And knowing our actions lead us, leads us to understanding sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed so much to be our Savior. He came to earth. He was whipped. He was bruised. He was disowned by God for the sin that he would bear for us on the cross. Sacrifice wasn't just something Jesus did on Tuesdays or in his spare time after the paycheck came in or on a full moon. It was who he was. He sacrificed. Think about this. It says that he bore our sin on on himself for us. By his wounds we have been healed. For we were astray. We were sheep that were astray. And he sacrificed to bring us to the shepherd. You have been called according to this purpose, to sacrifice, to give of yourself. And sacrifice starts by knowing the things you've been forgiven of. The things that you have been forgiven of. If you can start to acknowledge that you've been forgiven you can then turn around and start forgiving others. And that's sacrifice. I think this, is, this, one, this one is hard to measure. It's extremely difficult because Jesus sacrificed so much and so willingly for us 2,000 years, over 2,000 years ago. And it's hard to even like know how to measure that back to be able to measure it like Jesus did because he's the, the height of sacrifice, I feel like. But realize this. Sacrificing on others' behalf, I think, is humanity at its best. We celebrate the heroes of our culture that selflessly give so that others may have better. We celebrate those people, those military people that gave their lives so that others could have life to save other people so that we can have freedom 
We celebrate them because of their sacrifice. And so we, as Christians, that should be us. We should understand sacrifice. We should understand the things we've been forgiven of and willingly pour that out selflessly to others so that others may have what's best. Sacrifice isn't just for your own spiritual growth. That's not understanding sacrifice. There's still a little bit of selfishness in that because it's for you. It's for your growth. When we have, when we, to really understand sacrifice, we have to understand that it's for others. It's for others. This is something that I hope my kids get in our lives, in Kaylin and my life. That they are willing, without a second thought, to care about others and trust that God has us. That the finances will come in. That the time we sacrifice to tell others about Him is worth it. Humanity at its best. Humanity at its best is seen in Jesus. Jesus is the best man. And that's what being programmed like Jesus is all about. Is seeing the perfect source code, the perfect program, and saying, I want to be like that. I want to accept others the way Jesus accepted others. I want to know my actions the way Jesus knew his actions. And I want to understand sacrifice the way Jesus understood sacrifice. First Peter 21 says that he, he left an example for us to follow. He left us an example. He left us a program. It's right here. You don't have to go far to find the program. The question is, are you willing to be programmed like Jesus? So if you, as closing, if you could close your eyes, bow your heads. This morning, you may not have a clue what I just talked about. You may say, I don't know this Jesus. I don't know who he is or what he's doing. I don't understand this program part. But I know that the world's broken. I can tell you right now that humanity is not at its best away from Jesus. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand and say, I want to know this Jesus. I want to, be, I want to start living life like him. The second is, is if you've been living the religious life and you've filled that pole this morning. This sermon, friends, was really hard. There was a lot of conviction in it for me. I realized how little I measured the same things that Jesus measured in his life. And this sermon was not to put a guilt trip on you. But I believe God is pulling at your heart to be programmed like him. 
Would you acknowledge that this morning? Would you acknowledge that God's pulling on your heart and saying, come be like me this morning? We're going to sing another song. People who have asked to pray, if you come forward, we're going to sing another song of worship. I would encourage you, take time to receive prayer, to reflect. We're just about done. And, and believe me, being programmed like Jesus, I think, puts us in a place that we can start being the best of humanity in the world today. So let's sing. Let's stand together and let's sing another song in worship. Break me apart, I need you 